Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Literati Cast. I'm Jennifer Loughran, and I'm a senior agent at the Andrea Brown Literary Agency, where I rep children's books from picture books through YA and everything in between. I've been doing this podcast for a couple of years at this point, and if you've been listening, you know that the typical format is for me to interview a children's book creator or publishing professional in a general way, maybe with a focus on one or two big topics, but usually about the breadth of their work. But occasionally there are books that demand a closer look. So I'm adding a new feature to the podcast. Behind the Book is a very occasional series in which I take a break from the normal general interviews and instead do a deep dive into the making of one particular book, talking to various people involved and their roles in bringing the book to the world. This inaugural Behind the Book episode features Roar Like a Dandelion, with text by Ruth Krauss and illustrations by my illustrator, Sergio Ruzier. It's out this month from HarperCollins. Since I can't actually show you pictures of the pages through the radio waves, I'll instead give you a taste. This is the catalog copy about Roar Like a Dandelion. From Ruth Krauss, the celebrated children's book author of The Carrot Seed and A Hole is to Dig, comes this never-before-published book of witty one-liners brought to life by Gazelle Honor-winning artist Sergio Ruzier. Dance with a leaf. Jump like a raindrop. Sit in the sun and shine. Not since A Hole is to Dig and Open House for Butterflies have we seen such electric and playful words on a page. This imaginative story from Ruth Krauss, one of the most beloved children's book authors of all time, and celebrated artist Sergio Ruzier, is a remarkable collaboration that captures the timeless spirit of Krauss's signature wit and humor. Paired with Routier's irresistible drawings, this story will delight readers of all ages and inspire them to roar like dandelions. So far, Roar Like a Dandelion has received several starred reviews. Kirkus called it an Abecedarian catalog of delights. And the publisher's weekly starred review says, Each page offers its own adventure. Taken together, the spreads create an irresistible, deliciously subversive invitation to turn one's back on the tiresome. Roar Like a Dandelion is out this month, but it has an absolutely fascinating backstory, 50 years in the making. Today, I'm going to be talking to Nancy and Telly, the editor at Harper who brought this story out of a drawer decades after its original acquisition. Children's book historian Philip Nell, who is a scholar and expert on author Ruth Krauss and Sergio Ruzier, the illustrator who brought this book to life. So join me and my guests as we go behind the book and learn to roar like a dandelion. First up, we'll hear from HarperCollins editor, Nancy Intelli. Welcome, Nancy. First of all, can you introduce yourself, including your title and mini bio? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I am an editorial director at HarperCollins Children's Books. I've been at Harper for just over six years. Prior to that, I was at Disney Publishing for 13 years. And I started in publishing working for the Jim Henson Company, which as a lifelong Muppet fan was a total dream. And what kind of books do you work on now? I focus mostly on picture books. Um, some recent ones that I've published are Planting Stories by Anika Aldemui Denise, illustrated by Paula Escobar, and most recently The Scarecrow by Beth Ferry, um, illustrated by the Fan Brothers. I'm also lucky to have inherited some of Harper's classic backlist authors and illustrators like Margaret Wise Brown, Ruth Krauss, and Crockett Johnson. Um, And then along with a few other editors here, I work with the Sendak Foundation on our Maurice Sendak backlist. 
Harper has this proud history of publishing this, what we consider the classic canon of children's literature, like Maurice Sendak, Margaret Wise Brown, and Ruth Krauss. Um, can you talk about that legacy a bit? Uh, a common denominator in all of those names is, of course, famed editor and publisher Ursula Nordstrom. Ursula found and cultivated these timeless voices. Some of these books have been around for 50 years, and they still sell continuously. I think because they clearly speak to kids in a way that resonates with them. Everyone at Harper is so proud of that history. We're always looking for our new backlist. And in the spirit of Ursula, we strive to publish books that explore uncharted waters and champion new voices and talents. Let's talk Roar Like a Dandelion specifically. This book has kind of an unusual origin story. Can you tell us about where it came from and how it landed in your lap? Yeah. So if you read Phil Nell's excellent biography on Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson, which I highly recommend, you'll hear him talk about a manuscript of Ruth's that was tentatively titled Running Jumping ABCs. He explains that its publication was stalled because of illustrator delays and it never was published. Fast forward to a few years ago, and the Ruth Krauss Foundation sent the manuscript to me since I handle the Ruth Krauss backlist. Um, so when you got the manuscript, did you see the potential for it right away? Was it whole or in shards? And what was your next step? Totally. I seriously nearly fell off my chair with joy when I read it. I thought, how could something this perfect and so quintessentially Ruth never have seen the light of day? Um, the manuscript was whole, but there were a handful of letters of the alphabet that Ruth had actually written multiple text options for. Um, in those instances, a couple were obvious as to which, which ones to choose, but the questionable ones, um, I, I thought best to leave up to the illustrator. So I'm biased. Obviously, I think Sergio is a genius and everyone should adore him. <laughs> but what made you think that Sergio would be the perfect person to bring this book to life? <laughs> totally. Um, you're right about Sergio. Uh, I knew that Ruth Krauss collaborated so brilliantly and famously with Maurice Sendak. Their sensibilities paired incredibly well together. Um, I knew this manuscript was on par with her masterpieces, like I'll Be You and You Be Me and Open House for Butterflies, both of which... Maurice, of course, illustrated. Um, and I thought if I was going to do this book any justice, I'd have to find someone who had that same subversive yet playful sensibility. I've been a fan of Sergio's work for years. I mean, to me, Amandina is a gem of a picture book. Um, Sergio doesn't draw like anybody else, which makes his books special because they're so distinctly him. There's a sensitivity and a subversiveness about his drawings, um, and especially here, that really complements Ruth's text. Plus, as you know, Sergio is very funny in his writing, in his art, and in real life as a person. Through humor and whimsy, he invites readers into the story. He enhances and elevates Ruth's texts like Jump Like a Raindrop and Sit in the Sun and Shine. I can imagine Ruth being very happy with what he's done. I'd like to think she'd agree it was worth waiting for Sergio. <laughs> Were there any unexpected roadblocks or happy accidents along the way to making this book? Hmm, not really a roadblock or happy accident, but I'll share that when we were finalizing the title for the book, Sergio and I almost went with Dance with a Leaf for the title. That's Ruth's text for the letter D. Uh, we ended up landing on Roar Like a Dandelion, which is her text for R. It just felt bold and more of a call to action, more of a barbaric yawp. 
<laughs> um, what is your favorite letter in the Roar Like a Dandelion alphabet? Well, it's really hard to pick just one. Um, definitely L, which is look under the bed for poetry because Sergio drew a cat for that one. And for <laughs> that one person out there who doesn't know this about me, I do love cats. Um, but poetry too. I love poetry. Um, and then a close runner up is the letter I, which is ignore yourself and get mad because Sergio's drawing for that one is well, genius. The author of Roar Like a Dandelion, as we've mentioned, was of course the beloved Ruth Krauss, who passed away in 1993. My next guest is the biographer who will pull the curtain back on Krauss and her work. Hi, Phil. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Could you introduce yourself, please? Certainly. My name is Philip Nell. I am University Distinguished Professor of English at Kansas State University, which you probably don't care about. But what you might care about is that I write books about children's books, including a biography of Ruth Krauss and Crockett Johnson. We could probably spend many happy hours discussing all of your scholarship. I doubt that. I think so, actually. I've been following you for a long time on Twitter and stuff. But I do want to make sure to point out to listeners for sure your most recent book. It's Was the Cat in the Hat Black? The Hidden Racism of Children's Literature and the Need for Diverse Books, which came out this year in paperback from Oxford University Press, which I'll link to in the show notes, too. Um, and I think it's a very necessary read for people who want to think critically about children's books. I don't mean to be like reductionist about such an important topic, but could you give listeners a nutshell version of the premise? I'll try. The book is about the implicit and explicit racism of children's literature, from the lingering influence of blackface minstrelsy and the cat in the hat, to failed attempts to clean up racist children's books, to whitewashed book covers and the racist assumptions embedded within the industry itself. So... Despite having the cat in the hat in the title, there's only actually only one chapter on Dr. Seuss. Um, and I can expand on that if you like. Uh, he, he did both racist and anti-racist work, often at the same periods in his career. And so that's why the cat's in the title. The cat is neither sort of obviously racist caricature like some of his work, um, but nor is it obviously progressive like, say, the Sneetches. It's sort of somewhere in between the two, and that's why it's a useful metaphor for thinking about how racist tropes hide openly in culture for young people. And that may be too long of an answer to your question, so you can like go back and cut it off no. earlier um, I won't. if you want to. That was to. perfect. That was perfect. Um, so you also literally wrote the book on Ruth Krauss. It's Crockett Johnson and Ruth Krauss, How an Unlikely Couple Found Love, Dodged the FBI, and Transformed Children's Literature – which is part of my personal library. And it's fascinating and highly recommended for anyone who's interested in like the 20th century golden age of kids books. So it's fair to say that you're something of a Krauss expert. Yes. I would, I would say us, so. Yes. <laughs> can you give us kind of a snapshot of what Ruth Krauss was like as a person and as a writer? Yeah. Ruth was diminutive. She was just five foot four or for your listeners who live outside the United States, she was 162 centimeters tall. <laughs> you're, you're welcome for the translation. <laughs> don't live in the U.S. Um, she was outspoken. She was exuberant. Uh, she's a lot of fun to write about for that reason. There's lots of stories about Ruth. Uh, but she was also doubtful of her own talent. Um, and in her creative work, she really needed interaction with a collaborator. And, you know, that collaborator could be her editor, most often the legendary Ursula Nordstrom of Harper. Uh, it could be the artist she was working with, who was most often Maurice Sendak. 
they worked on eight books together. Um, it could also be her husband, Crockett Johnson, who acted at her invitation as informal editor and designer for a lot of her books, too. And, of course, the collaborator could be a combination of editor, artist, designer. But she, she definitely, as a, as a creative person, needed the interaction of, of, um, of other people. She needed input from other people. She's most famous for using children's language in her work. She had a real rapport with children. She treated them as her peers. She listened to them. They accepted her. So she would watch them play. She would take notes. And then she would render a version of their speech and their play in her own work. Most famously, A Hole is to Dig, the first of her collaborations with Maurice Sendak. Um, but her work as children's writer is actually only kind of half of her career. There's a, a lesser known second half, which is Ruth the Poet. That that career is less well-remembered today, but she studied poetry with Frank O'Hara and Kenneth Koch, and she wrote avant-garde poetry and poem plays. Um, and they were quite well-regarded and, and show up in anthologies of, of the avant-garde uh, theater uh, of the 60s and the 1970s. So, you know, she, she turns the poetic ear that she had once turned to children's speech towards a, a broader world um, and, and to kind of a receptiveness to poetry in the world in her later work. But that is interesting about Roar Like a Dandelion, too, because Roar Like a Dandelion comes at the beginning of, of this this um, this poetry phase of her career. There's, there's a line in Roar Like a Dandelion, look under the bed for poetry. Uh, and, and that's uh, what she was trying to do in this period of her career is to be receptive to the poetic in the everyday. Hmm. You mentioned A Hole is to Dig, and I think most people probably do know Ruth from her 1945 book, The Carrot Seed, which was illustrated by Crockett Johnson, or from A Hole is to Dig, which was, as you said, um, illustrated by Maurice Sendak. But actually, her career in kids' books spanned all the way from the 40s to the 80s. So aside from the book we're discussing today, what is your favorite book of hers? My favorite book of hers is Is This You?, which is from 1955, and it's one of her four collaborations with her husband, Crockett Johnson. In fact, it's the only one in which he is also credited as co-author. It's a book that invites children to write a book about themselves. So you can see it as a, a precursor to Dr. Seuss and Roy McKee's My Book About Me. Um, it asks the question, and then it follows that question with a series of absurd answers, all of which are drawn by, by Crockett Johnson, and then it asks the question again. So the text asks is this what you eat for breakfast? And then Johnson provides a series of odd pictures, like a little girl eating grass, you know, is this? <laughs> a different little girl eating a hat, you know, is this? A small boy taking a bite of a piano leg, another boy digging up worms, and then we get finally, you know, take another page of paper and draw what you eat for breakfast. And at the end of the book, they invite the child to bind all these pages together with yarn or with staples so they have a book of their own. I love this book. I would love to see it republished. It is it is funny, it is creative, and you know, it it tells children to to become authors. So I, I yeah. Well maybe we can maybe we can talk to our friends at Harper about that. I would you know, I would love to see Harper <laughs> republish it. And I know that um that uh that Johnson and Krauss were in conversation with them about that as well because it wasn't originally published by Harper. They they turned it down, um, but they wanted to, it to be a Harper book too. So who knows? Maybe maybe Roar Like a Dandelion will renew interest in, in, <laughs> in the, their careers. I did adore my book about me when I was a kid. 
Yeah, I still, so, have, I still have my copy with my weird drawings inside of it. So <laughs> yeah, so so do I. I still have my childhood copy with my own weird drawings and strange answers to the questions in it. So so yeah. Uh, would it be fair to say that Ruth Ruth Krauss's books changed the face of children's literature? I think it would be fair to say that the success of her books, especially the collaborations with Sendak, help make a place for children's literature that respects children's unorthodox use of language, tough, pragmatic thinking, and unruliness. As, as Maury Sendak said of Krauss, quote, uh, she respected the natural ferocity of children. And I think that's a nice description of the work they did together and of the influence they've had on children's books. They aren't the first books with unruly kids in them, but I think the success of them lets other people know that it's okay to have kids who are a little little rough around the edges, who break the rules, <laughs> who get muddy, and uh, and that's okay. Spontaneous. Let's call it that. <laughs> yeah, sp- spontaneous. Yeah. So as you mentioned, Ruth uh, worked with the legendary editor Ursula Nordstrom. And anyone who thinks, like, I don't know who that is, they probably actually do, because she edited some of the most iconic books of the 20th century. <laughs> And her book of letters to authors, Dear Genius, is, I think, absolutely required reading for children's book history fans. So I've read Ursula's correspondence to Ruth. She obviously adores the books and the author. But I also know from other interviews and stuff that um, that their relationship could be somewhat volatile. Do you have any insight there? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ruth and Ursula both had very strong personalities, very strong opinions about what would make a good children's book. And so they clashed. Um, they also needed each other. Uh, Ruth's unruly genius needed Ursula's guidance. As I say, Ruth needed a collaborator. She needed someone to sift through all of the many drafts and iterations of things she would send in. Um, but of course, you know, Ruth also created many hit books for, for Harper that helped establish Ursula as you know, the, the major children's book editor of her day. And of course, she's not the only uh, Harper author to do that. But yeah, so they, they, they clashed. They also needed each other. Um, and Ruth published most of her children's books at Harper with Ursula as her editor from her first book, A Good Man and His Good Wife, in 1944 to I Write It in 1970. She did about 25 books for Harper during that 26-year that period. And there were a few books for other publishers, but most of it was with Harper. So, you know, it was, it was a mostly productive friction between the two of them. Mostly. There are also <laughs> lots of colorful stories in which the friction seems less productive, but <laughs> but makes for a great story, certainly, um, if not um, for a great working relationship. So let's talk Roar Like a Dandelion specifically. Can you give us the story on this manuscript? Like, when was it written? When was it acquired? Yeah. She starts working on this pretty early in the poetry phase of her career. Um, in January of 1959, she started taking Kenneth Koch's poetry classes at Columbia. And at that point, she was actually just considering dropping out of children's books altogether so she could just write poetry. Um, and she did continue to write children's books, but not nearly as many uh, as she did prior to, uh, to 1959, 1960. She may have started Roar Like a Dandelion as early as 1960. Um, certainly by 1969, she was finishing her own illustrations for the book. It was then called either the Running, Jumping, Shouting ABC or the Running, Jumping ABC. Uh, if you've looked at the book, you, you may notice that unlike most alphabet books, which use nouns for the letters, this uses verbs. Um, 
But anyway, um, by 69, she was certainly working on illustrations. And I should say the titles of her books often changed. So like her last collaboration with Maurice Sendak, Open House for Butterflies, was called Philosophy Book for, for most of its uh, working title life. Ruth sometimes also called it The Book from Outer Space. Uh, Ruth's a colorful character. Uh, but, but anyway, <laughs> um, um, she, in 69, sent Ursula at Harper, running, jumping ABC, Ursula loved the idea. She talked with others about it. They loved it. And Ursula seems to have sent Ruth a contract for the book. But within a year or so, either Ruth or Ursula didn't feel the book was quite ready. And then in October of 1970, Ruth just puts it aside. She says, I cannot do the ABC any longer. And instead, what she thinks is, let's use this book contract for a, a collection of poetry for young children, which can include some of the lines she did for the ABC book. Ursula seems interested in that. So Ruth pursues that. Start sending in batches of poems, ah, then that kind of comes unraveled too. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of reasons for that. Ruth keeps changing her mind. She and Crockett Johnson move in 1972, um, and then Crockett Johnson dies in 1975. And both of these proposed books, the ABC book, the poetry book, are just forgotten. And uh, that that's the end of it until 1986. Then Ruth returns to Roar Like a Dandelion, which is still called Running Jumping ABC, and she pitches it to Scholastic's uh, senior editor, Phyllis Hoffman. Hoffman loves the text, thinks it's going to be a great book. And Ruth has an idea for an illustrator. You may remember earlier that I told you about Is This You? The child who inspired that book was a little girl named Nina Rowan Wallace. She was the daughter of two friends of Krauss and Johnson, and she was the kid in their lives, who was most like a child to them. Um, literally lived next door. And when Nina's father died, when she was only eight, uh, her mother, uh, Nina's mother, and Nina spent a lot of time at their house, um, very, very close to them. So anyway, as illustrator for this new book, for Roar Like a Dandelion, then called Running Jumping ABC, Nina's now grown up. Um, she's gone to art school. And Ruth wants her to illustrate it. And so she sends send some artwork from Nina to Phyllis as, uh, as possible artwork for the book. And Hoffman's not so crazy about it. Um, so Nina sends some new sketches and scholastic passes on her artwork, and Ruth loses interest in the book. And that's it. Um, that's also it, because at this time, Ruth loses interest in children's books altogether. Scholastic did publish her last children's book, uh, Big and Little, in 1987. But Ruth wasn't consulted about the art, and when she got the final artwork and there were only white children featured in it, she was really angry. Um, she didn't understand why there weren't any children of color in the book. The artist wouldn't redo the illustrations. The book was published, and Ruth hated it. And that was it. She, she washed her hands of children's books, and then she died uh, in 1993, just a few years later. So that's that's the, the long history of Roar Like a Dandelion's many false starts and attempts to, to come into being. And, and as I say, there were two editors who, who really liked it. It just never quite, never quite got, got all the way to the finish line um, in part because, because of Ruth. Well, I mean, I think that uh, any author of picture books can sympathize with it being a very long process. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, but, I think, uh, yeah. usually not 50 years, but okay. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Or over 50 years really, but yeah. So obviously this book has a very lengthy history from being acquired in 69 to now being published. How did you first become aware of it? I did see 
various iterations of the book at Ruth's papers at the University of Connecticut's archives, there are lots and lots of draft versions of this. It was clearly something that she was interested in and really just needed someone to come and help her finish, you know, someone to sort of come in and be the editor and say, okay, these are the lines we're going to use because she had multiple possibilities for each letter. Um, you know, so should she just use one uh, verb for each letter, multiple verbs, what should she do? Maybe some should have multiple, some shouldn't. She just couldn't make up her mind. But the earliest that I found seems to date from 1960. For the letter T, she has written, turn a blue somersault, turn a red somersault, turn a silver somersault with a lace edge, try to hug a moon in a puddle. And that, that puddle line, a version of that shows up in, in the final book. It's a, a try to hug yourself in a puddle. So, yeah, it's something that I saw enough of in her papers that I mentioned it in the biography that I wrote because it seemed like a book that was finished or almost finished but just never quite never quite made it all the way to publication. So I'm really, really excited that it is finally out because when I saw it, I thought someone should illustrate this. You know, someone should publish this. This should definitely come out. Um, and I remember talking with um, – with the estate about it. So maybe, maybe I was partially involved in the sense of suggesting it as a title, but, but I was not in any way formally involved in its, in its emergence, delighted though I am that it has emerged. <laughs> uh, I know this is the realm of pure speculation, but how do you think Ruth Krauss would feel about the, this finished version of Roar Like a Dandelion? Oh, I think she'd love it. I, I, you know, as I say, she really needed a collaborator to work with and, I think Sergio's sensibilities match hers very well. Um, uh, I, I could imagine the two of them working together. I think it would have been, uh, uh, as as all collaborations with Ruth were, you know, challenging because she was a challenging person to work with. But um, I think he's chosen really well uh, which which verses to use and and how to bring them to life. You know, I, I think what what I really really love about his illustrations for the book are are the their their playfulness you know just just as Maurice Sendak's illustrations did for his classic collaborations with Ruth Sergio's yeah they they embrace playfulness they avoid clichés they they tell stories of their own you know so for the first letter in Roar like a dandelion act like a sprinkler in summer you, know, you could imagine somebody drawing you know say a sprinkler on a lawn mm. Sergio draws as a whale with a blowhole giving this happy mouse a shower. That's great. You know, <laughs> and, and that's the perfect example of how the art and the language can interact to create something quite new. In, in the next page, you have butt like a billy goat. And there's a tiny billy goat headbutting a much larger rhino in the butt, of course. Um, and, that's, and, and that's just, uh, that's delightful. And that's, uh, and that's fun. You know, the, the pictures never merely illustrate. They are always in conversation with, with the text, dancing with each other. And, uh, yeah, they, Sergio's art and Ruth's words dance beautifully together. So I'm, I'm really, really, really happy to see this. And I hope, yeah, I hope, hope it does well. What's your favorite letter in the Roar Like a Dandelion alphabet? All right, that's a tough one. I really love Eat All the Locks Off the Doors because Sergio has drawn a little pig seated at a table that is a door a door that the little pig seems to have just liberated from his doorway because he's holding a screwdriver like a knife in one hoof and a wrench like a fork in the other and he is sitting snout to doorknob about to dig in i have no idea 
how he's going to eat the lock. But but I love the expression on his face and the sense of possibility. Uh, I also really love the letter uh, for for, uh, for for letter Y. Uh, yell, good morning, big fat world. I um I think I'd like a poster of that that I can uh, hang up in the bathroom or maybe put next to the coffee maker because that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of what you want to get yourself out of the door. Uh, Absolutely, something like that. But uh, but yeah, those would be my my two favorites. If you had a hand sell roar like a dandelion to a potential buyer, what would you tell them? Well, I mean, I could say that it's the first new Ruth Krauss book in 32 years um, or that it's the first completely new book published since her death in 1993 because there have been re-illustrated books, um, you know, Sendak's new version of Bears, for example. But I think the best thing to say about this is that it's an active ABC book that invites imagination and participation. As I said, you know, it's about verbs, right? This is about doing things. And I think that makes it a great read aloud because an audience of children could actually do about half of these, right? Invite them to roar like a dandelion. Do dandelions roar? What would they sound like? You know, there, there's an opportunity for, for conversation and, and collaboration in that. Um, you can invite them to crow like a rooster and make the sun come up. Hold your arms out like a little pine tree. Jump like a raindrop. It's, there, there's a, a real opportunity there for, for involving children in the imagination of the book, um, an, an invitation for them to feel the poetry in everyday life, uh, to, to yell, good morning, big fat world. So I think uh, that's what I would tell booksellers. I would tell them that uh, Roar Like a Dandelion is classic Krauss with a rosier twist. I'm delighted to bring you now, straight from the mountains of Italy, the illustrator who brought Roar Like a Dandelion to life on the page. Hi, Sergio. Hey, Jennifer. Can you please introduce yourself to the listening audience? Yes, I will. I will. Um, so my name, as you just said, is Sergio, and uh, I'm Sergio Rozier. I'm a children's book author and illustrator, and uh, I'm Italian, but I've lived for decades in New York, even though recently I moved into an old house in, uh, in the Italian Apennine Mountains. How did you get started in illustration? The very first things I've published, I was really young. I was maybe 18 or 19, were comic strips that I was doing for um, a magazine here in Italy still. Um, and then I did other comics for another better magazine. And of course, you know, they would not pay me enough to, 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 for me to make a living. So I was doing other jobs to survive, working in libraries and bookstores. And, uh, and then when I was maybe 27 or so, we're talking about 1995, I, I moved to New York and uh, I actually went to New York on vacation a little bit for a few days, for a couple of weeks. And uh, someone gave me the number of Paul Davis, who's a, a great illustrator, uh, especially famous in the 70s, 80s. 90s and he was super kind and uh, and he saw my drawings and um, he sent me to the our director of the New Yorker magazine uh, Chris Curry who gave me right away some work and that made me think okay I should move to New York City and I did and I started working for mostly for magazines and newspapers first and then one day I had the mm, fortune of meeting um uh, uh, Francis Foster, uh, editor and publisher at uh, Farastrash in Giroux, and I started publishing children's books with her. Um, what medium do you use? My favorite 
and this is the one that I've always used since I was a kid and I still use most of the times is pen and ink for the line and watercolor on watercolor paper. Do you do anything digitally nowadays? It's very rare, very, very rare. I, I colored a couple of books years ago, but I didn't particularly enjoy that. The only thing that I do is maybe rearrange my sketches. Uh, once I sketch by hand, uh, once I, I'm, I'm done with my sketches, I scan them and I move them around to create a composition. You know, it's this. I use, let's say that I use my scanner and my computer the same way I would use a, a, a photocopy machine uh, years back, but it's, it's simpler. But then it's all, it's all uh, completely handmade, all my artwork. What's your favorite kind of book to illustrate? To, uh, to be honest, the one that, I, that we're going to talk about today is really my ideal book to illustrate. It's uh, a, a book by Ruth Krauss. The, the text is really a dream, a dream text for me to, 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 to work on because it's just a series of sentences. They're linked, of course, but it's also up to me to link them through my illustrations. And, and they're very free themselves, and they let me very free to uh, improvise and, and, and expand and, 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 and dialogue with them. And so it's really so a text that leaves me free to go beyond what is just there written on the page is, is my favorite kind of text to illustrate. Um, one other book that I really enjoyed illustrating was by Yves Bunting. It's a book uh, that I've illustrated a few years ago called um, Have You Seen My New Blue Socks? Uh, and that also had a lot of room for me to, to expand. So that was, that was also great. We're going to talk more about Roar Like a Dandelion in a minute. But first, you do have several other books that are either have been recently released or are soon to release. Do you want to mention those at all? Sure. And I will link to all these in the show notes too. Yes. Uh, so um, this year, last, in the spring, I think uh, Good Boy came out from Athenaeum, Simon & Schuster. And it's a book that I've written and illustrated. And, uh, and it's, um, it's about a little boy and his dog, which is usually the most banal thing that you can think of for a male author to write about a boy <laughs> and his dog, but hopefully it's a little different than other books like that. And uh, I, I had a lot of, uh, I had a really good time working on that book. And uh, then there was a second, Fox and Chick. Fox and Chick is a series of uh, uh, early readers, comic books, graphic novels, however you want to call them, picture books. And, and the second one came out, and right now I'm working on the third one. And I'm also waiting to see the first proofs, or actually, probably the FNGs already, of One Mean Ant. Uh, it's a book that I've illustrated on, uh, on a text by Arthur Yaring that will be published by Candle Week early next year. I've seen art from that, and it's amazing. Thank you. So let's get into Roar Like a Dandelion, which is, of course, the book we're talking about today. So first of all, did they have Ruth Krauss books in Italy? Were they a part of your life growing up? You know, it's crazy, but they didn't, and they still have maybe one, and that was published a few years ago. And nobody seems to to know that book. And but a great thing is that uh, one day an Italian publisher came to my home in Brooklyn 
and saw in my on my bookshelves uh, all the Ruth Cross books that I had, and she was completely uh, surprised that she would never seen them because Maurice Sendak is known, is well known, but for some reason not the books that he did with Ruth Cross, and so are not the other Ruth Cross books. So she was really interested, and in, and now uh, her name is. Um, Giovanna Zoboli, and she's the publisher of Topi Pittori, who's going to publish Raw Like a Dandelion uh, in Italy. And uh, and I'm really very happy about that. So, yeah, no, growing up, I didn't know Root Cross books. I, when I came to the States, I realized uh, who, who she was and the wonderful books that she's written. Of course, starting from the ones elucidated by Maurice Sendak, but then so many others. And, and, uh, so no, I, 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 it's something that I discovered when I was in my late 20s. Um, how did this project come to your attention? Uh, well, N- Nancy um, Intelli, who is uh, the, the editorial, editorial director at uh, HarperCollins, um, one day she, I don't know if it was, we, we, we bumped into each other or someone and she told me, oh, I have, I might have a book for you. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's a book that, Ruth Krauss wrote that was never and was was never published before, and I was like, "Well, what does it mean? I might get to publish to illustrate it because <laughs> it's like, oh well, it's not a, a done deal. We have to still think about. But I'm thinking about you as the illustrator, and so I waited and waited. I was hoping that it would uh, work out, and at the end it did. And of course, before they sent me the manuscript, I thought, but why? Why didn't she publish it in during her um, lifetime? And and uh, and so I started to think maybe she never published because it was not very good or something. And who knows? <laughs> it could it could be right. Sometimes it happens. And uh, but then no, when I got the manuscript, it, I I honestly think it's as good as uh, Holy to Dig or you know Open House of Butterflies or those other books that she did in the fifties, sixties. It's really wonderful. So I I was I was really. Very excited to, to 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 be the one who will get to illustrate it. You dedicated the book to Maurice Sendak. Um, how I know that you knew him and were a Sendak fellow. How has Sendak inspired your work in general and this per- book in particular? Yeah, well, you have to understand that I my first book was Little Bear, the Minaric book that 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 Maurice illustrated in the fifties, sixties. And uh, so that was really the, 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 my, my first book I, I, I learned to read, of course, the Italian version. Um, I, I, I learned to read on that book. The stories are wonderful. Of course, those are by Minarik, not by, I think I pronounced it right, Minarik, I'm not sure. Um, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, but, but those drawings, they were so warm, they had such a melancholic feel that I feel like they really shaped my my visual uh, sensibility and uh, from a very early age. And then when I was a teenager and I started to use pen and ink, I really kept looking at those drawings for, for as a help. I, I, I never went to art school. So Maurice Sendak's work was one of my uh, ways to, to learn how to draw and, and especially how to draw with pen and ink. So Roar Like a Dandelion is what we call an, ABC Darian book, aka it's an ABC book where there's an entry for every letter of the alphabet. But I know some of those letters had alternates when it was a manuscript. How did you go about deciding which entry would go with which letter? 
Yeah, so yeah, with Nancy, we, we really talked for a while about this uh, and how, since, as you say, for some of the letters, there were many options or many at least, you know, two, three, four, and others only had one. So the question at the beginning was, do we use them all? Do we have uh, one for a letter and maybe three for another letter? It could have worked that way, but then... I thought that, um, you know, sketching and thinking about it and also hearing the sound of the, of the, of the words, we decided that it was much more uh, fluid if it was just one sentence per letter. And, and we, of course, we chose the ones that worked better as a sound, as uh, the ones that would, make a better connection through my pictures as well. There is not really a storyline because they're all independent sentences that have illustrated, but you you can have... I, I, I was able to have um, a, you know, a, a, a connection between some of the characters that come back and uh, there is... I feel that there is there was possibility for me to do a good work of uh, making it you make the whole book a, a, a unity. Most of the entries in the book are not concrete. Like you talked about improvisation. This isn't an A is for Apple kind of book. It's much more about the poetry of a child's emotions, how the words make the reader feel, imagery. So how did you decide what to actually draw? So as soon as I read the the manuscript, uh, while I was reading it, I think maybe the second time I read it through, I would do little sketches on the margin of the page. I, you know, I printed out the, the email with the text, and I, I would read it and and just sketch out little doodles, little um, thumbnail, you know, sketches on the margin, and they would come out really freely and easily. It was really easy. To work on this book and and almost natural, so I didn't think too much. Uh, I would read a sentence and something would come up, and and I would put it down on the paper. Of course, then I would elaborate it. I would do more. I would embellish it. I would. But the if you look at the final illustrations, if you look at those little tiny original sketches. You can tell that there was not much content-wise. I mean. Uh, uh, Concept-wise, there is no much change from those little sketches. So I, I feel like to to be respectful of Ruth's work, you know, she was so spontaneous. At least apparently, when you read her books, her 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 words are so free, uh, so sometimes even crazy, strange, and and I didn't want to to think too much about what I I needed to do. I just wanted to be as free with my drawings as. Uh, she is with uh, with her work. Did anything unexpected happen during the making of this book? Sometimes the con- sometimes the connections between one, because as I said, these are all um, independent sentences that they they could work independently without the others. But but with my illustrations, I was able to make a connection between them. And sometimes the same characters would come back without really me thinking of that. Like, it was like, oh, okay, this 
this character is coming back on this letter and is kind of communicating with the earlier drawing in the book. So that was unexpected, meaning like it was really alive while I was working and it was really a nice, a nice feeling. It was It felt, again, it felt really natural that things were just coming out on their own almost. Sounds very organic. Yeah, organic is the right word, yes. Um, okay, what is your favorite letter in the Roar Like a Dian- Dandelion alphabet? Um, prob- can I mention two? Uh, will you allow me? Okay, thank you. One is, and I, th- I feel like it's really the the summary of all of uh, Ruth Krauss' work is look under the bed for poetry. And uh, my drawing is a little cat who's looking under the bed and there is a lot of junk that clearly left there as i don't know how orderly were you how clean were you when you were a kid i was a mess Not. so that could, have, that could have been my bad what was <laughs> so that was a and it's a small drawing in the book and i i'm really fond of that situation and but then there is also another book another sentence that i really liked paint a cage with an open door and wait is that right um I'm looking. Hang on. Paint a picture of a cage with an open door and wait. Okay, so it was, it was yeah, painted. That's good. Yeah, I remember right. I'm so smart. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and I really had a great time illustrating that one. And maybe I thought about that one a little bit more than others because it's more complex. And I also was able to put a little homage to uh, Ruth Krauss' husband, uh, Crockett Johnson, the author of Harold and the Purple Crayon, because as you can notice. The, the the color of that drawing on that wall is uh, is purple, and uh, and also that I mean nobody will ever notice and it and it's all completely all right. But I know that I I while I was working on that drawing, I was thinking about a, a Goya's etching, and I don't know the English uh, title of that etching, but it's the guy sleeping and all the monsters that are, are surrounding him, overwhelming him while he's sleeping. Um, what is it in Italian? Uh, it's Il sonno della ragione genera mostri. Okay. So now I have to ask you to take off your illustrator hat and put on your bookseller hat. Uh, You're in the bookstore. Somebody wants to buy this book. How would you hand sell this book to a potential buyer? Uh, well, you know, I told you I, I used to, 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 to sell books. To, to work in a book, in bookstores when I, when that was so long ago um, of course it's always embarrassing to try to 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 even just to promote it's very embarrassing for me as an illustrator to say nice things about the book that I've done just because I feel like well of course I'm gonna say nice things about this book I want people to buy it but <laughs> in this case I can just focus on Ruth Krauss uh, text and I will say that if you know Ruth Krauss books, and if you like them, well, this one is as good as all of our other books that she did in the 50s and in the 60s. And I think it's a great compliment, and it's such a fortune for all of us that this text was still unpublished and we were able to, to publish. And I really hope, I will never know, of course, but I really hope that Ruth would be pleased with the work I did on I think it's safe to say that Ruth Krauss would be pleased by this book, and I'm so glad we could go behind the scenes on the making of Roar Like a Dandelion. 
To close, I'm going to read an excerpt from one of Ursula Nordstrom's letters. Her letters are fantastic and collected in the book Dear Genius, which I cannot recommend highly enough. I know I've said it before in this podcast, but really, truly, Ursula Nordstrom is hugely important to the history of American children's book publishing, and she was Ruth Krauss's editor for nearly all of her children's books. Anyway, this was written in response to Jim Blake. Jim Blake was a HarperCollins sales rep who had gotten a complaint about a Ruth Krauss book from one of his buyers. Ursula had a lot to say, so I've trimmed it. This is from February 9th, 1954. Of course, I am crushed to the ground and I bleed at every pore when I read your plaintive statement to the sales manager. Quote, I wonder if the book couldn't stand a little editing if it isn't too late. It is too late for any changes, and lateness aside, if we want to publish Ruth Krauss, and we do, we have to publish pure 100% Krauss. She knows something we don't know, and most grown-ups don't know. As for a little editing... Well, Ruth has written a lot of books for us, and it has been an exciting and rewarding experience for me as an editor to watch her grow and grow and develop and go deeper and deeper. She doesn't do the same thing over and over again, and if she ever starts, she won't continue to be Ruth Krauss. She'll always be good, but when she stops blazing new trails, she won't be the writer she is now. Krauss books can be bridges between the poor, dull, insensitive adult and the fresh, imaginative, brand new child. But of course, that will only work if the dull adult isn't too dull to admit he doesn't know all the answers to everything. Krauss books will not charm those sinful adults who sift their reactions to children's books through their own messy adult maladjustments. That is a sin, and I meet it all the time. But there are some adults who don't sift their reactions to children's books through their own messy maladjustments, and I guess those are the ones who will love and buy Krauss. And with that, I'd like to thank my guests, Nancy, Philip, and Sergio. Links to all the books we talked about will be up on the show notes at jenniferlawfriend.com slash literaticast. Also, the Literaticast has a Patreon. Throw in a buck and you can help support this podcast. It's at patreon.com slash literaticat. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time.